Jim. Sounds great. Jim. Let me unmute. Let me unmute. You're good. You're good right there, Jim. Okay. I'm gonna mute you now. Okay. You're good. Wait on Dr. Okay. She's probably getting Dr. Johnson on. Okay. We may start. Okay. Oh, come on. All right. Thanks. Dr. Kemp, sound check. Dr. Kemp, you there? Good evening. Hi, Jim. Hi, Dr. Bird. I'm here. All right, got a lot of noise in the background. All righty, here we go. Is that better? That's better. Have you talked to Dr. Johnson at all? Dr. Um, Kemp? I have not. Let me try. Okay, that's fine. Here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, Three, two, one. Good evening, and welcome to another evening with Burton Friends, featuring the absolute very best in all the women's sports and HBCU athletics. We cover all five HBCU conferences, the MEAC, SWAC, the SIAC, the GCAC, and the CIAA. I'm going to let them unmike, and I want them to say hello to you. I'm going to start with Dr. Kemp. Unmike. And tell everybody hello. Good evening. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the show. Glad you're here with us. All righty, Jim. Let's get on Mike and tell everybody hello. Welcome to the show, Jim. On Mike. Not on Mike. All right, you're on Mike. Okay, tell everybody hello, Jim. Okay, good evening, and welcome to the Cliff Burt and friends show where we're going to get into some HBCU sports and have some other topics and have a great time. All righty. And we're waiting on Dr. Johnson. We hope she comes along. We'll have a quick moment of silence. We're going to talk about some topics in the world, of course, 9-11 and some other things. Just 15 seconds of silence. All righty. All right, so um, as we know, today is 9-11. Approximately 22 years ago in this country, something happened. Our nation was attacked. The Twin Towers in New York were struck down. Over 3,000 lives were lost. Planes also hit the Pentagon, and another plane was headed toward the White House, except for the fact that Americans on board fought it down. These hijacked planes. It was the biggest terrorist attack on our soil. And as Dan Rather said that evening, the newscaster, life in America would never be the same as we know it. And so we want to talk about that. And then also, we also want to continue to pray for our brothers over in Morocco, brothers and sisters, who were struck with a 6.8 earthquake over the weekend. And with that earthquake, over 3,000 people so far, so far, have died. So we're going to talk about those two things before we start. And then um, we have Dr. Johnson with us. We're going to introduce her in about 25 minutes. Uh, but Marlo, talk about those two topics, 9-11 and Morocco. Give us a minute. 
Um, yes, I just, I remember it's like every time this, this time of year comes around, it just, it always bring you back to the day that it happened. I just remember, um, just so clearly where I was, um, you know, when that happened, I was actually getting ready for school, grad school, I'm watching the news and I just couldn't believe what I saw. Um, and just all of the events that unfolded, it was just, of course, so surreal. And, um, and it's just seemed like it happened yesterday. It just doesn't seem like it's 20, it's been 22 years that have actually, you know, passed away, um, since this tragic event has happened. Um, so it's, um, of course, that's something that we will never, ever forget. So sure. Just, um, Jim, give us your uh, response on that. The Dr. Kent will come back for a short comment on Morocco. Jim? Okay. Were you guys were you guys living in New York then? No. Okay. Yeah. I was in Nashville and I was in school and we were watching uh video of the planes hitting and we didn't know what was happening. And you know, a sidebar, my father actually was in DC within walking distance of the Pentagon. Mm. And, you know, he was asked to go over to the Pentagon to uh, have some grief support to some of the people in the Pentagon. So, you know, it struck home. Mm. Yeah. Jim, I was a resident at the uh, uh, intern at Medical College of Virginia. Excuse me. I was a fellow. And I remember walking in a patient's room at the VA. We looked at the TV. I got my history. And the guy said, wow, somebody can't fly. They hit the train center. Went out to the desk, wrote my notes. When I came back in to speak to the patient, he said, we're under attack. Look, Doc, the second one was hit. And uh, that's what I remember in that year of 2001. Dr. Kemp, let's move on to Morocco. What are your thoughts on Morocco? Over 3,000 dead, and they're still searching for bodies. What's your thoughts? Unbelievable. You know, it's just, you always hear about an earthquake happening. You know, this is just a five-point oh or 6.0 you know um you know, my, it's just my thoughts and prayers definitely goes out to that country um and and it's just so sad it's just you know it's like what well we know what's happening but um it, it's just unbelievable that many lives you know are lost um just with an act of god there's nothing that you can do about it how do you prepare for for something like that um the best that you can you can but it's just it's really sad so um our prayers and thought goes out to all of everyone over there yeah and most of it's up in high areas of the mountain jim what are your thoughts you know you always hear about things like this and it just saddens you because three thousand at least three thousand people mm-hmm. yeah we um I don't know. I think we're having a little more more earthquakes than we usually do. I don't know why. Sure. But, you know, any loss of life is tragic. Mm-hmm. We will continue to keep both of these situations in our prayers. The victims of 9-11, their children, many now fighter fighters. By the way, we lost 343 firefighters in 9-11 that day as well. And um, we'll continue to keep all the families the descendants, and, and just everybody in our prayers, okay? All right, we'll move on to sport. Our woman of the month, Miss Billy 
Jane King. All right. We're talking about career tonight. And then next week, we'll talk about Billie Jean, the activist. Billie Jean King's French Open win in 1972 made her only the fifth woman in tennis history to win the singles titles at all four Grand Slam, a career Grand Slam. She also won a career Grand Slam in mixed doubles. In mixed doubles, only the Australia Open new to her. King won a record 20 career titles at Wimbledon, six in singles, 10 in women's doubles, and four in mixed doubles. Billie Jean King played 51 Grand Slam single events from 1959 to 1983, and reaching at least the semifinals in 27, and at least the quarterfinals in 40 of her attempts. Billie Jean King was the runner-up in six Grand Slam single events. The indicator of her mental toughness in Grand Slam single tournament was an 11-2 career record in Deuce third sets. Billie Jean King won 129 single titles, 38 of which were WTA titles and a career prize money totaled $1,966,487. And uh, Dr. Kemp, I'm going to come to you first. Billie Jean King, give me your comments. Billie Jean, that's my girl. Billie Jean, she, she tough. People don't realize that, you know, when you first see her, you know, she's kind of laid back. Um, but, you know, if you pretty much have been following tennis, as long as she's been playing, um, you really don't realize just the the number of titles that she has actually, you know, won, mm -hmm. um, which is, um, you know, amazing. As you you're going through her 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 career, it's um, she's just an amazing and awesome player. Um, she always seems to be always looking out for all of the other players, um, and seems like all of the past winners recently have made more money than she has in her her t total amount of career prize money um so but uh it is she i'm de i'm happy that she's definitely the woman of the month for this month yeah jim billy jean well i always remember when she uh had the match with bobby riggs battle of the sexes and won yeah, yeah. <clears throat> She also had a little known fact. She had a brother, Randy, that was a pro baseball player. So she came from an athletic family. Absolutely. And, you know, I always admire her because she's always been for equality and fairness. Yeah. And, and, and I believe was one of the first ones to jump on the Serena bandwagon. Yeah. We're going to jump into that of that next week and talk about all that she contributed to equality. But we have with us all Let's give her a hand clap, Miss Billy. Jean. Jean. We focus each week on the unique women who are in the executive position or in the media position who are making a difference. And there's one name that we cannot ignore. Tiffany Green calls it like she sees it. ESPN, Tiffany Green. Yeah, it isn't just that this 41-year-old FAMU alumni's easy flow on the mic that makes it such a standout. Repping ESPN since 2015, Tiffany Green is a rarity in the game. A black female sportcaster and arena has long been the domain of white men. Not only does she hopscotch between a slew of college sports, football, basketball, softball, volleyball, but she can also be whatever the broadcast calls for. The play-by-play -play announcer, the sideline reporter, 
she could probably run a production truck if ESPN ever found herself in a pinch. She's a trailblazer, and she contributes a lot of her role modelship, if you can, looking up to people such as Pam Oliver. And so there's so much, and Doris Burke. She's so much more we can say about her. But Dr. Kemp, tell us what do you think about Miss Green? I love listening to Tiffany uh, when she's uh, commentating. She just, she, uh, she's always into, you know, whatever sports that she is, um, you know, given the play by play. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and uh, definitely, definitely proud of her and what she's doing. Um, so once again, uh, another phenomenal uh, female that you have brought to light to us. Thank you, Dr. Bird. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, and I think she's actually from Jim up there with you guys in Michigan. Jim, Tiffany Green. You know, I've Tiffany Green has been doing the black college football games for a long time. And it's been a stalwart on that with, I believe, Jay Walker, who was a quarterback at Howard, and uh, Charlie Neal, who was, uh, locally started out in Detroit in the 70s. So I love hearing her voice, just her commentary overall. It's just great. Oh, yeah. Tiffany Green, we look forward to continuing to hear from her. We'll continue to highlight her. Women influencing sports. Here we go. Well, this past weekend, at the U.S. Open, one year after Serena Williams retired, in the single division, 19-year-old Coco Golf is the U.S. Open champion, and she's it's her first Grand Slam. She's won 17 in a row, but boy, it was phenomenal, and she played a great, great tennis player in Sabalenka. Uh, Jim, I'll let you go first. What do you think about Miss Coco Golf? Well, we were watching a little bit of her match on Sunday together. And, you know, she's always been a rising star. And at 19, it seems like she's been around for a long time. Yeah. But she's only 19. I watched her briefly on Saturday, and I got scared because she was down. She lost that first set. But she came back strong and was able to defeat her opponent. and. I think is the youngest uh, winner since Serena won it. Correct. I believe 18 or 19 as well. So hats off, go to Coco Golf. And also, we got an added bonus. We got to see Naomi Osaka, who said that she will be back for the uh, Australian Open in 2024. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's good. Jim, uh, I believe that tournament in Cincinnati prior to the U.S. Open where uh, Coco Golf defeated the Southern and Western. Iga, yeah, she de defeated Iga Swiatek, who was the number one for a long time. She couldn't get fired. She lost seven or eight times in a row. I believe beating her in that tournament and winning that tournament moved her confidence level up to the uh, the next level, and it's right on time for what she needed going into the U.S. Open. Yes, that. That uh, Southern and Western tournament in Cincinnati has gotten a lot of U.S. Open champions ready for the U.S. Open. Mm -hmm. I believe that uh, the aforementioned uh, Naomi Osaka has won it a couple times, and then she went on 
the U.S. Open, but it's a great tournament to win and push you toward winning the U.S. Open. Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Kemp, what do you think about her paycheck? <laughs> Not bad either. Uh, thank you, Billy Jean. That's right. <laughs> what do you think of the not bad for a day's work. Yeah. Not bad at all. Mm -hmm. We're proud of Coco. I was like Jim. I couldn't watch. You know, I was like talking for, you know, you would have thought that she was part of my family. I was just like, oh, I'm getting nervous. <laughs> so, yeah. But she pulled it out. <laughs> yeah. She also, um, the American women did very well in the other semifinals to play Sabalinka, Madison Keys went to the third set and lost the side of Sabalika. So we almost had a U.S. women's and an African-American U.S. women's final. So they have done very well. And uh, while we're here on tennis, because we may not have time to come back, we have to give our congratulations to Yotrovich. He won in the men's uh, final singles, 24th Grand Slam, tying, tying him with Margaret Court. And... Uh, <clears throat> he deserves it. Yeah. If, if there was any doubt, it used to be three of them. Federer, who had 20. Nadal, who had 22. And Djokovic, who now has 20. I believe in the end analysis, Djokovic will come out to be the greatest of all time. As far as Grand Slam titles. Because he's wins. Uh, Yeah, wins. He sets some other records, too. He was the oldest to win a Grand Slam at 30 years uh, old when he did it the other day. And he's the first to win three Grand Slams in a year, four times. Okay? Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. He's had a heck of a year. So, hey, let's give him some claps. Mm. He's a champion. He's for real. All right. <laughs> now, Spain, follow-up story. <laughs> Spain's president of the Soccer Federation has resigned. Okay, Luis Rubiales, okay, suspended after he kissed the player from Spain after they won the World Federation Cup. He said he wasn't stepping down. The pressure got immense, including this past week, the prosecutors in Spain are threatening to prosecute him with sexual assault charges. So um, not only was he suspended, but he has now stepped down. He's resigned. Uh, Dr. Kemp, your thoughts first, and we're coming to you, Jim. Yeah, I guess, yeah, yeah. He 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 did right. He, he should have done that <laughs> a while ago. He should have just went ahead and just stepped down, but, you know, just trying to be defiant. And, um, you know, so, so he did the right thing. He made the right call and just went ahead and resigned mm -hmm. before it, you know, it got a little more hotter in the kitchen. So, um, okay. <laughs> So, so, so we've been covering this thing, this tournament for a month and a half. Mm -hmm. And our top stories are Spain wins it. The coach is fired and head of the Federation of Spain is forced to resign under the threat of criminal charges. 
What a world. Tim, what are your thoughts on this? Oh, boy. boy. Well, you know, he kissed it. You forgot to mention it was on the lips. Well, okay. And, you know, that, that's a big difference than on the cheek or, you know, just a brief kiss. No, on the forehead. On the lips. Okay. The so whole world saw it. True. He, yeah, so he really was asking for it. And, you know, I, I don't know why he was defiant because, like you said, the whole world saw it, number one. And number two, the girls did not want it. No. And, you know, you, you, this, you have to make sure that, you know, if it's unwarranted, you're going to pay the price. And yeah. He paid the yeah. ultimate price with his yeah. job. Yeah. Well, we'll uh, they're going to get a new coach. They're going to get a new president of the Federation over there. And uh, the, the eyes are going to be on women's soccer a lot more. Not just in Spain. But a lot of this have been going on for quite a while. We want to welcome to the show Fisk University's Basketball Hall of Famer, Renee Spencer. She's in the audience with us now. All right. As we promised, we were going to cover volleyball extensively this fall. And here we are. This week, we're covering the Gulf Coast and the MIAC and Division One. And so let's look at the Gulf Coast families. As a fan speak, man, in first place, Dillard University, three and all conference race, three overall. Talladega, new comers to the conference, two and one, eight and six overall. Philander Smith, two and one, three and four overall. Fisk University, one and one, three and eight overall. Wow, one and one in conference play, six overall. Russ College, one and two in conference play, three and eleven overall. Oakwood, oh and one in conference play, two and two overall. Southern University, oh and one, and oh and one in conference play. Tugaloo, oh and two. And 08 overall, the University of the Virgin Islands does not seem to have a volleyball team that's playing in competition at the Gulf Coast. Let's go to the MIAC, okay? <clears throat> and um, when we look at the MIAC standings, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry. We're going to go to a commercial, and then we'll come back with the MIAC. One minute, okay? One minute. Welcome back, Dr. Cliff Burton's friends, featuring the absolute very best in all the women's sports and HBCU athletics. Now, the MIAC, Coppin State, 8-4 overall, and these are just the overall records. Maryland Eastern Shore, 5-4, Delaware State, 4-6, Howard, 3-6, Morgan State, 3-8, Norfolk State, 1-4, North Carolina Central, 1-6, and, and South Carolina is picking up the cellar at 0-10. And so that's what we have for our MEAC this week. Division one, Wisconsin, 7-0. Number two, Louisville, 8-0. Number three, Florida, 7-0. Nebraska, 7-0. Number four, 
I think they had 93,000 at a game a week ago. Number five, Stanford, six and one. Texas, number six, three and two. Oregon, seven and one. And number eight, Pittsburgh, six and one. Minnesota, nine, three and three. And Georgia Tech is at seven and oh. So that's what we have this week. We'll come back with the SWAT. And we'll come back with the SIAC scores next week. SIAC has women and men's volleyball. But we want to make sure that we're covering volleyball very well this season. And we want to give, so far, all of our teams a tremendous, tremendous. All right. It's here. The WNBA playoffs. All right, Jim. So here we go. They start Wednesday night. And uh, only eight teams. Uh, the Vegas, Las Vegas Ace, uh, number one seed against Chicago Sky uh, West. And Connecticut opens up against Minnesota Lynx. And then on Friday, New York Liberty plays Washington Mystics. Liberty at number two. Mystics at seven. Number four, Dallas Wing versus the Atlanta team, number five. So these are the teams we have. But, um, Jim, what do you think? Las Vegas Ace barely skinned off. Liberty, number one overall seed. But what do you think of these playoffs coming up? And Dr. Kemp, we're coming to you next. Well, you know, Las Vegas Aces, by finishing number one, avoids the Connecticut Sun, which finished, I think, 37, 38, and 12. Too far off. So that that match that the New York team and uh, Connecticut are going to have to play is going to be very crucial. So that that that's a very... Uh, very good thing to avoid the sun and I think start out with the uh, fourth place team. So mm -hmm. kudos to the Las Vegas Aces for winning the overall record and getting the number one seed. Dr. Kemp? Well, you know, it's going to be really interesting when we see what's going to happen when we have the matchup with the Aces versus the Liberty and um you know, down the line, I'm, you know, predicting that, but <laughs> well, it is it's going to be interesting to see what the matchups are um, and what, what happens. Cause you know, anything all can happen during the playoffs. So we, you know, we think that we know which teams are actually going to get to the finals, but you just never know. So mm -hmm. I can't, I can't wait to see what happens. Yeah. Unfortunately, these teams didn't make it. Indiana Fever, so we won't be seeing Aaliyah Boston. And Phoenix Mercury has missed it for the first time in 10 years, so we won't be seeing Brittany Griner. And we also won't be seeing Jules Boy, the leading scorer, because Seattle didn't make it. Okay? So that's that. Now, just a few quick HBCU scores, and then Jim, I'm going to yeah. come on with uh, some professional scores, and we'll move on from there. LSU defeated Gremlin this week by about 76 to 3. The key story there is a young man was injured and we want to pray for him. And that is um uh his name is Jaquavis Richmond for Grammy. And they took him to the hospital. They say he has a neck injury and had to have surgery down there in New Orleans. So we'll continue to pray for him. Tennessee State got on the board. They Arkansas Pine Bluff 
uh, down in Memphis. How would you with a win over Morehouse? They play Hampton upcoming this weekend. See who's the real North Carolina Central defeated cool. North Carolina. Cool. I just want to say something quick on, about uh, on, about Arkansas Pine Bluff and Tennessee State. Hold on. They almost Hold on. had an ending just like we did in that. Oh. Yeah. Hold on. Alabama A&M defeats Lane in the Lewis Classic. Okay. And so that's the HBC. Go ahead, Jim, before we move on to sports. I was going to say Alabama. I mean, not Alabama. Uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff and. Tennessee State almost had an ending like we saw in that game last week where Arkansas, Pine Bluff, was down all game. They suddenly developed a running game. They were going in for the winning or tying score, went to kick a field goal to tie it, and it was blocked, and Tennessee State ran it back to win the game by 10 points. Wow. Okay. All right. So, Jim, let's take us through some professional. Before we bring on Dr. Ashley Jim. Okay, well, you asked for the rundown of the scores and highlights of uh, the NFL. This was a crazy first week because as of now, the Jets and the Bills are playing, but 10 out of 15 teams, 10 out of 15 games were won by the team on the road. The road, the road team won 10 out of 15 games so far. That's only happened maybe once in NFL history. Wow. You know, the uh, Dolphins are looking good. Tyreek Hill had 215 yards in his first game. He said he was going to get 2,000, be the first player to gain 2,000 yards as a receiver. He's well on his way. Uh the uh, Packers look good with quarterback Jordan Love. He's <clears throat> taken over for Aaron Rodgers, who took over for Brett Favre. So they've had about 30 years of Hall of Fame quarterback play in Green Bay. But Jordan Love looked good. Also, the three rookies played well, but all three lost. And Anthony Richardson, C.J. Stroud, and the... Uh, I forget the young man in uh in Carolina's name, but they all played well but lost. Also, starting out, the Detroit Lions were able to defeat the uh, reigning Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. All right. Twenty-one to twenty. Go Lions! Okay. And it was, a, it was a great weekend overall. You know, we had a couple of injuries where uh, the uh, Ravens running back, uh, his name escapes me, but uh, Dead Dobbins, J.C. Dobbins, mm -hmm. is going to be out for the year tearing his ACL and MCL. But it was a great week with a, a lot of close games in the NFL. What about college football, as well, Georgia, Michigan, all the top 10 teams won except for Alabama, who mm -hmm. lost at home to number 11-ranked Texas by 10 points. That was the first time that Alabama had lost at home to a non-AC team since before Nick Saban 
arrived at Alabama. Wow. Now, had this been next year, they would have been an SEC team as Texas and Oklahoma are also joining the SEC. But Jim, all you of your Texas top is, teams won. You think Texas was real think this Texas, year? I, I don't. They look real now. <laughs> now they, they'll have to come back and win the uh, Big 12, which I think is within their grasp. And I just wanted to mention that we talked about uh, Grambling defeating LS, LSU defeating Grambling in a big payday. They made $700,000. At first glance, I guess it, I said, that's not a lot of money. But to go to where they went, there's not a lot of travel involved. They probably didn't have to do a hotel stay. They probably just went back to Baton Rouge. So, well, not. So, and then uh, there was another one. UCLA played. Uh, Somebody, I think they got eight hundred thousand dollars. The black college team that went out to UCLA. But all in all, you know, these are the money games. I know Bethune is playing. I think Miami next week, mm-hmm. and there's some other HBCUs traveling to get some money. But it, it, was, it was a good week overall for all the teams yeah. in the classics. Now you know. When you go play a big time school, you're not you're not gonna win that game, but you you know you just want to pray that no one gets hurt. Mm-hmm. And also, as you said, the real H, the battle for the real HU Howard and Hampton will be next week, and that's always a good game. Jim, uh, I want to go with a story that's just breaking. Uh, we could do this instead of Major League Baseball. What is going on? At Michigan State with Coach Mel Tucker. This is a great story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're on cable, so okay. I was hoping to avoid that one, but evidently Mel Tucker, who on the basis of him beating the University of Michigan twice in his first two games, signed a $95 million 10-year contract. He had a young lady in who was a rape survivor, spoke to the kids. They developed, you know, she came in two or three times and developed a relationship. And he decided to, I'm watching my words on this, Mm -hmm. talk to her on the phone. And he told her that he was masturbating to her. She found this offensive and reported it to the school. They were debating back and forth. And Cliff, to be honest, living in Michigan now, no one knew anything about this until it hit the papers on Sunday. It happened in April of 2022. But it had been hidden from even some of the trustees in Michigan State. And if you remember, Michigan State is where Larry Nasser, mm-hmm. Olympic doctor, mm-hmm. had done a lot of uh, done a lot of crazy things. So they're just recovering from that, and then this happens. So you know it's it's not looking good here. They've suspended him. It erroneously came out that he was fired 
but he's been suspended until the investigation is complete. Wow. All right. And it's just. We'll, we'll continue to follow it. Uh, for those who don't know who Coach Tucker is, he's African-American and a highly paid football coach uh, at a PWI. So this is a big story. And uh, Jim, we just will continue to follow it. Okay. Um, we're going to go to one okay. break. Jim. We're going to go to one minute break. And then we're going to come right back. And we're going to speak with Dr. Ashley Johnson, Coach Johnson. All right, now. Welcome back, Dr. Cliff Burton Friends, featuring the absolute very best in women's sports and HBCU athletics. Tonight, we have with us coach, Dr. Ashley Johnson. She's in her first year coaching at Dilly University for the Blue Devils. She served as two seasons previous to prior as the head coach of Clark University Lady Panthers volleyball team. She had a successful inaugural season with a 13 and 11 record and brought the Lady Panthers to being ranked fourth in the Southern Intercollegiate Athletic Conference. She finished her tenure there with an overall record of 26-31. Johnson also served as the head men's volleyball coach at Morehouse College. The team currently competes in the SIAC, and it's the only HBCU conference to sponsor men's volleyball. Coach Johnson is from Bolingbrook, Illinois, and she attended Bolingbrook High School, where she played both basketball and she played volleyball. She also played volleyball at Indiana University, Purdue University of Indianapolis, where she graduated with a bachelor's degree of science and exercise science in 2010. She finished her career as one of IUPUI's top blockers. She ranked second in solo block with 55, block assist 273, and total blocks with 328. She appeared in 119 matches in her career, the 10th highest in the school's total history. She received a doctorate in physical therapy in 2015 from Hampton University. And while at Hampton, she was a volunteer assistant for the Lady Pirates volleyball program. Dr. Johnson spent three years in Tampa, Florida, where she coached the Tampa Elite for two seasons and then opened her own club, Volley Star BBC. During that time, she also was the head volleyball coach at Robeson High School, where she was the winningest coach in the school's history, 25 and 8 in 2017. She also took the Lady Knights to the Florida High School Athletic Association, 6-8, Final Four, in 2017. Dr. Johnson is a licensed physical therapist in the state of Georgia and the owner of Dr. J Physical Therapy, an outpatient physical therapy practice with three metro Atlanta locations. Her life's mission is to combine her 10-plus years of playing and coaching experience with the knowledge she acquired while earning her doctorate to create programming specifically for the volleyball athlete that can prevent future injuries and enhance performance. Let's please, please, please welcome to the show, Dr. Ashley Johnson. Dr. Johnson, good evening, good evening. 
All right, speak up if you can, just a little closer to your phone. Oh, can you hear me? Much better. Oh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm going to let our co-host, Dr. Kim, and then Jim say hello and welcome you to the show. And others will be able to type in chat before we get going. Hi, Dr. Coach Johnson. Welcome to the show. We're happy that you're on. Look forward to speaking with you. Thank you so much. Dr. Johnson, thank you for coming to the show. We're glad that you came and we have a lot of, you know, have some questions for you. I hope I can answer all of them for y'all tonight. All righty. Dr. Johnson, before we get started, I want to say congratulations to you, not just your volleyball team, but Dillard University's athletic department. I understand that there's a commissioner's academic honor roll in the GCAC. And from last year, Dillard University leads the GCAC with over 150 athletes that have made that scholar role. And the second place team, whoever that is, is in the 50s or the second place school. Correct. So Correct. congratulations to the great job that you guys are doing at Dillard. Tell us how you get them on track academically. Come on, Doctor. Right, right. Well, you know, it's... It all starts at the head, and I have to give flowers to our athletic director, Dr. Linda Bell. Um, she started uh, literally last September and has turned this athletic department around and has really made it academic-focused and emphasizes the student and the student-athlete, which um, totally attracts coaches like myself, um, a former student-athlete, a doctoral education, um, and it's good to be in an environment where we're trying to not only create, you know, strong athletes, but also, you know, academic people and future professionals. And it's just a great space to be in. Mm -hmm. I'll ask one more and then Dr. Kemp, I'm going to come to you. So Dr. Johnson, most gravitate, and I'm so glad we're doing volleyball, to basketball and other sports. And I often say, I think we lead so many by not pursuing volleyball. I think if we knew how popular volleyball was worldwide and the opportunities, a lot more of, of our students would gravitate. Like, we only have one men's volleyball program in five PCU conferences. I wish all five did. But what drew you to the game and what can we do to draw more of our students to the game to learn volleyball? That's a great question. I love speaking about this. It's a big passion of mine. Um, I'm a basketball player. I'm a hooper. I'm a power forward. I'm a Rodman, Ben Wallace in the paint. And um, I had a great, you know, youth career playing basketball. And, you know, volleyball comes in the fall before basketball season. So traditionally, we would play volleyball just to do something and get in the gym before basketball season. Coming out of a suburb, suburb of Chicago, reigning state champs, it's basketball land. Um, and it wasn't until there's a coach, Gina Greenan, she was like my sophomore volleyball coach. And she was like, you should play club. And I was like, what do you mean play club? Like, what is that? And she's like, it's travel volleyball. Like, I really think you can play in college. And at the time I was already getting, you know, division one looks and offers as a sophomore. And I was like, oh no, like I'm a hooper, um, you know, and as time passed and 
I got sick of banging in the paint and <laughs> running in practice wasn't as, you know, it was, yeah. I was, you know, and I'm over here like a 3.8 student. I could go to any in-state school for free right now. And it was just, I was like, listen, my dad said I was playing sports to go to college for free academically. As long as I stay in-state, it's looking like that's an option for me. Um, so at the time, it was like my junior high school, I was falling out of love with basketball and um, ultimately gave volleyball a shot. So I started my first travel volleyball season as a junior in high school. Um, and next thing you know, they wanted me on the 18th team. They just wanted me to skip. And I'm like, dang, like I don't even know this sport for real. Why am I skipping? And it was because of my athleticism and verticality that I was born with and was trained through basketball that made me a, a force at the net. And I was able to play one year of club volleyball and get Division One offers and ultimately choosing IUPUI. And I always tell people this, it's like, I had to, I remember I had to go to volleyball camp before I went to college mm. and I was crisscross applesauce, high school, like 15, 16, 17 year olds at Indiana's camp, Purdue's camp. I was going to big 10 camps all summer before college, crisscross applesauce, learning how to serve and everyone's introducing themselves. And I'm just like, oh, I go to IEPY, I play volleyball there. They're like, oh, that's where you want to go. And I'm like, no, no, um, I'm a D1 volleyball player. I just, I don't know the game. And I feel like that's how it was in the early 2000s. And that's how the game is now. It's literally only a few of us that have the opportunity to go and play travel ball, to be recruited. One, because of the price. And two, because it ultimately ex excludes you from participating in any other sport that you may be good at, which is basketball or track. So, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was saying, yeah, until those two things are addressed, we're, it's, we're not going to see a lot of minority participate sport. Wow. Dr. Thank you, Dr. Johnson, from one Illinoisan to another. That's oh, yeah. awesome. <laughs> you actually answered two of my questions. How did you, you know, get into volleyball? And then, like, what were some of the other sports that that um, students would actually participate in prior to doing volleyball? But and uh, and it's also I'm also glad that you brought that up to the students and any student athletes that are listening. You know that you actually went back and learned how to you know really play the game. Um, a volleyball and it actually showed with the you know just your overall achievement in it like second in, in blocks solo blocks and assists and you know just total blocks how do you um keep your student athletes like motivated and to help them balance that stress school life you know balance that they have to deal with, especially when they're coming in, what, at the beginning of the school year, um, right into the whole volleyball season? Yes. Um, I'm going to be completely honest. I struggle with that. I struggle all the time. I pray about it. I read books about it. And it's, it's solely because I was the type of athlete that went to get it all the time. There was never, I've never had an excuse. 
Um, my parents told me how life would be if I did it this way and how life would be if I did it that way. And I always, you know, chose the to work hard, go 100% in everything. And I never really needed my coach to give me external motivation. I always, I was my worst critic. There was never a coach that had to say, you know, you're slacking off or you need to work harder or are you overwhelmed? I never really had that. So coaching has taught me how to understand how others experience life and that not everyone had parents that prepared them to be a D1 athlete since they were 13. You know, I came out of a household that regimented us like we were college athletes at 12. You know, it was like church, school, sport, church, school, sport, church, school, sport. Like I went to my high school reunion and they were talking about all these things that transpired. And I was like, yo, where was I at? Girl, <laughs> church school. Like you you were you were class president and had no idea what was going on. Like you were just <laughs> doing your your job. And so, you know, I mean that others, you know, people have different experiences and how to, you know, help bring them closer to the experience I had. That's what I try to do with my team. So I give them structure. They're very regimented. They have expectations. Um, I don't, you know, if they get a kill or we beat a team, but we beat a team and we had this many errors, we're not, I'm not going to celebrate this with you guys. I'm yeah. not going to cheer on and say, yes, team, this is it, because this isn't it. We could have done so much better and not things that you can, um, you know, not, not that I'm expecting them to be perfect all the time, but let's not make mistakes that we know we can control there are there's decision making skills that i want them to have um because that's the difference for me between hbcu and pwi volleyball coming out of a pwi system and how they train us to have volleyball iq understanding strategy where to place the ball specifically versus being a grad assistant at a d1 hbcu like hampton and we won the MEAC empowered our way through that thing it was all high jumping hard hitting but that doesn't win national championships which is why there hasn't been an hbcu to win a volleyball national championship at any level you know and and it's because we're missing that volleyball iq aspect of the game and i mentioned that because all of these pwi fleets typically play travel volleyball from when they're 12 years old because it's available to them and their families can afford it. And so with HBCU volleyball, you have a lot of girls that are catching up. They haven't even played this many years of high level volleyball because they're either priced out, the opportunity wasn't there, or they were a multi-sport athlete. Um, and that's a part of the game that a lot of people don't realize. Yeah, you're absolutely right because this is the first time um that i've heard about the tra the travel volleyball um I, and i think maybe recently i've had only had like a few former um classmates you know who who has daughters or had daughters that actually played you know but they were part of this travel volleyball but i had never i hadn't heard of it um you know in the past um you know either like you said maybe because we were just priced out of it and we just couldn't afford it so um yeah and there's right and there's local volleyball that's that's typically affordable 
but the volleyball that gets you that all the college coaches go to recruit at colleges don't go to high school volleyball because it's it's during our season we just don't do it like it's not that's it's not like football or basketball where you'll see coaches pull up to a winter tournament no like you're only seen in this club arena so if you're not in this club arena your opportunity isn't there um a perfect example of this is a recruit uh, my new freshman i found out of bell chase naya st cyr went to bell chase high school you can look her up number one blocker in louisiana number one in the whole state she had zero offers because she's also a standout basketball player she's 6'4 and she played high school basketball so she wasn't able to play club so i'm taking her to these college tournaments and i have the other team coaches like where did you find this girl and i'm like there's so many more of her and mm-hmm. that's really why you know i am a physical therapist i own clinics but i'm doing this because this is what matters to me because i'm you know i was it was 2006 to 2010 that i was in college and at a pwi division one there was only one or two of us per team yeah. and here we are it's 2023 and there is still Mm. only one of two of us per team while the club scene has increased because we're seeing a lot more black families Jalen Rose's daughter plays club a lot of NBA players and lawyers so we're seeing a lot more black athletes in the club scene but we're not seeing them be recruited by these division one schools which is why if you look at my Dillard roster I got four girls over six two Mm-hmm. At an NAIA. Wow. Yeah. Jim, jump in. Well, Dr. Johnson, you endear yourself to me because of things. The mention of Ben Wallace and uh, Dennis Robinson. <laughs> My wife is from Batavia, which is around Bolingbrook. I know Bolingbrook mm-hmm. well. And I mm-hmm. used to, I just, I just left Tampa. So I know about wow. the club scene and the, the, the Tampa Bay heat. I remember mm-hmm. hearing about all that. But you, but you're right about the fact that we don't get involved in club sports as much as we should. Because there are a lot of good African-American volleyball players. But I know one I know in particular played basketball and softball. Mm-hmm. Played many sports, like you said. But I wanted to ask one quick question about what is a, we had this question about non-educated uh, volleyball people about a libero. <laughs> libero player, yeah. Yeah, so the libero is a special defender, which is why they wear a different color jersey. So at any moment, the libero can go in for any back row player. That, and it doesn't count as a substitution. So at the NAIA level, we get unlimited subs. So it's not as crucial. But at the NCAA level, they only get 12 substitutions. So if you have big players that play at the front of the net that necessarily aren't the best in the back row, this special player can run in for them when they go in the back row and then now not count as a substitution. Oh, wow. And they can do it the whole game. So they never technically 
you know, they never go to the front row and they also never really come out. They're always just replacing one of the big players that can't play in the back row. So a libero is a coach. Like, so for me, I have a libero, Chazri Lumpkin. She's from Hawaii. Phenomenal libero. And, and I have all these big, tall girls at the net. So if we're strong at the net and I have this ultimate defender back row, there's really, it's going to be hard to stop us or to score on us. And that's the point of the libero. Wow. Dr. Johnson, uh, I love volleyball. I don't, I play basketball like you. I was a power forward. First, I like it because it's the only one that kill and nobody panics, right? So, yeah. applaud it for kills, right? You can't target the football anymore. But some of the terminology kills, uh, you get recruited as a blocker, you get recruited, I guess there's aces. And what are some of the other terminology that is not, not common to most of us assistant okay. blocker what's an assistant blocker player right okay so blocking in general is done by one of the three players at the net and that's when they jump up and stop the opponent's hit from hitting the ground mm -hmm. so that's a block so if a one person does that by themselves that is a solo block that means no one helped them block that hitter. Typically, two hitters will pair up, two people at the net will pair up together to block one hitter. So if two people go up at the net together and the hitter is blocked, they each get a block assist. So it's like it doesn't give it just to one person. So as long as you're within that blocking unit, you get a block assist. And solo blocks is what you do by yourself. And no, go oh, ahead. and then I was going to say, when the attacker goes up to hit the ball, they can get a kill, and that's when it just hits the ground or goes out. And a dig? What's a dig? A dig is after the attacker goes up and hits the ball, the person in the back row, if they stop the ball from hitting the ground and they pass it up, that is called a dig. That's where they dive on the ground when the Correct. other person tries to kill and they Correct. dive and, and keep got it got yeah. it wow and yeah. then the person who sets up the attacker so they can hit the ball mm -hmm. that person is called the setter or the quarterback of volleyball mm. and so if that attacker gets a kill then that setter gets an assist so that will go on their stat sheet as you put the ball up to an attacker who got a kill so setters are, you'll see like a set thousand assists in her career, a hitter gets a thousand kills. That's like a volleyball benchmark of a strong four-year career. Wow. You're educating us. Dr. Johnson, <laughs> let's talk about your team. Let's talk about the Gulf Coast. Um, I looked at some of the history. Now this is first year, yeah. but last year Dillard was favored to win it. And yeah. when I looked at it, I think Amanda Smith beat him in the finals. Yes. Is that correct? That is correct. In Dillard's gym. I know your players haven't forgotten that. And then you have a newcomer this year who's come in, Talladega. So this is going to be very competitive. This is right there in fourth. Um, what do you see as far as you like the competitiveness of the conference so far? Because you, you've been in school, you understand. 
that the competitiveness of the conference helps prepare you for whoever goes to the nationals. So do you like the competitiveness of this conference? Um, I do not. I do not like the competitiveness of the GCAC. Um, it, and I'm saying this as I'm actually watching sure. a conference matchup as well. And again, and I say this because I experience, I'm coming from, I'm a PWI division one player. I coached as a grad assistant at a D1 HBCU. I was at Clark Atlanta, which is the SIAC, and that is an NCAA Division II program. Um, I feel like there are good programs in this conference, but just not enough. Uh, there's great talent, just not enough. Um, we have probably a strong three or four teams in the conference. Um, that you know will give us a run for our money like we beat talladega in five um a couple weeks ago and i feel like that's gonna be one of the harder teams for us to get through um i'm really using outside of conference games to prepare us for conference so i, I put us in the university of mobile tournament we dropped to Mobile, which who Dillard has never beat, but we actually play them tomorrow in our gym. So I'm interested to see how we do. Um, we are played uh, Columbia International, which was preseason ranked top 25. Um, Florida College and all these teams have gone to the NAIA championships, unlike anyone in our like, unlike we have done mm -hmm. since 2010. Um, and then I had us play Southern. We we beat Southern in four. That's a division team out of the SWAT. Um, we also have uh, William Carey and Louisiana Christian on the docket. And so those out-of-conference games, I'm really trying to use to help prepare them for the teams that are going to be at this national tournament because we're in an HBCU conference. But at nationals, there's no HBCUs present. Absolutely. So I can't use us to train for it's not it doesn't work that way. And um, when I first, you know, was talking to Dr. Bell about taking this position, the one of my biggest things I was like, I need to have the ability to have a strong schedule. Like, I don't care about these losses because we're going to sweep our conference and then we'll actually make advancement in the finals. Um, and so along with that thought about scheduling smart, I brought in and recruited girls that should be at division one institutions. Um, and they're already showing that they belong in the college realm. I have my freshman, Cadence Thomas, middle blocker, freshman, Gabrielle Washington, another middle blocker. They were, they're ranked in the top 100 in the nation right now. Um, and I just feel like being able to recruit those caliber of players that had teammates in the club realm who are playing at Florida's and Hawaii's, they have that division one mentality and skill. And um, if you've watched any of our games so far, you'll see even against Southern, like, oh, wow, this Dillard team, they're built a little different. And that's because Dr. Bell allowed us to go out, recruit these girls, get the money to get them here. And then me and my um, assistant coach, Coach Henderson, who played at Tennessee State, who also has D1 playing. Where, in where did she play? Hold up, Doc. Where did she play? She played at Tennessee TSU. State. Mm -hmm. well, that's what Dr. Kemp, Kemp graduated from. Okay. 
All right. Yeah, all right. So, um, <laughs> and I, I love our coaching duo because if you look at a lot of the coaching resumes of HBCU teams, a lot of these coaches themselves didn't have division one experiences or training. So not saying that they can't provide that, but it's different when it's built in use from when you're 18 and you're just, you're training in it constantly and you know how it should look, you know how it should feel. Um, and me and Rachel bring that, have brought that to this program. And I'm praying that, you know, they out or how our season pans out will prove that we are that championship team that we feel we've been growing. Wow. Dr. Jim, then I'll come back to you, Dr. Kemp, one of, one of our final questions. Jim? Well, Dr. Johnson, I could listen to you all day talk about volleyball. I hear your passion. I love volleyball. Yeah. <laughs> now, do you recruit mainly in the state of Louisiana, or are you nationally recruiting? So um, I nationally recruit, and I will tell you, I do a lot of my recruiting by word of mouth. So a lot of people know me in the South. I've been around the club scene. If they like volleyball girls, she's seen Coach AJ at a tournament hugging on little black girls that I love and been watching for years. Um, and I also really try to get those kids that can't afford club. I really try to get those kids that are looking for that opportunity, that are hungry and have the athleticism and just need someone to sprinkle a little instruction in there. Um, I have a soft spot for those types of athletes because that was me, just very athletic. And I had a coach who saw something and was like, you're a world-class athlete. Like, this is your sport. You're meant to do this. Whatever people say, it may look different when you do it, but you do it well. Um, and I just really want to keep building that. And at an HBCU, it's really the only space where that type of philosophy and goal is welcome. Um, because you don't, I couldn't imagine bringing an all black team to LSU. Like, that would be crazy. <laughs> they would be like, you know, even if, and I've been asked before in other podcasts, like, you know, if you have the success at the NAIA level, do you see yourself going Division One? you know, in the future as a coach? And I was like, honestly, wherever I land as a coach, it would have to be at an HBCU because my life mission is to grow black girl volleyball. And I, I can't do that anywhere else. So even though we may not have... Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, so even though at times we may not have necessarily all the you know, the things the PWIs have in regards to monies, facilities, support. It's just something special in what we can build HBCUs and the experience that these kids have, um, especially when I look back at my experience in college. And if you look at probably some of my team pictures, you'll be able to find me pretty easily. I'm the only chocolate thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, and I, you know, there was a time during college where I was, I was going to quit volleyball and the basketball coach at IEPUI was like, we've been wanted you. We've been waiting for you to, you know, wise up and come back to your sport um, just because of the isolation and lack of, you know, I just, I wasn't welcome. I wasn't welcome. They loved me for what I could do, how I could win games. But outside of that, I didn't have any camaraderie. I wasn't invited to any weddings. Wow. I didn't have that. And so 
you know, being able to coach now and be on the other side, it's like I'm I'm getting back that experience that I didn't have myself as an athlete. Um, and I hope that student athletes are out there listening and understand that's that's why it's important to, you know, give your HBCU a chance because it's when you look back, yes, I had all the shoes at IUPUI, all the gear, all the Adidas Christmases, but it's like there was no substance to my experience as well. Um, and, and that's really what truly matters when you're looking back at life. Wow. Dr. Kemp? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Dr. Johnson, so my, my, I have two quick questions. So one is how many um, scholarships do you have available to your student athletes? Um, so we are very blessed here at Dillard um, because we have strong academic scholarships that we can pair with the athletic. So the majority of my girls have about 80% of their tuition paid for um, if I sign them. Um, and I would say volleyball in general is a highly academic, especially if you're looking at the D2, D3, NAIA. If you don't have academics, you're not going to get a full ride because the, the programs typically only have eight scholarships. Um, that's how much the max is at a division two level, at least. I'm not sure for D1. Um, and you have to realize there's a roster of 15 girls. Okay. You know, there's only eight fulls. So the coach isn't gonna recruit eight superstars and have seven walk-ons. Everybody has to get a piece of that eight. So you really wanna, you know, as a student athlete, make yourself academically competitive so that the deal is able to be sweeter. Um, because volleyball is in basketball and football in regards to funding. Wow. Dr. Johnson, um, we gotta have you back. This has been so informative. We were yeah. determined to make sure we highlight volleyball this 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 fall. It, it you know, it starts when the school starts back. And um we, we want to educate our audience. This goes about about six or seven platforms, podcasts, and we're gonna continue to push volleyball. Uh, I think there's so many opportunities, like you've explained to us. We also thank you for coming back to HBCUs. Your gym, not just to do it, but you're going to be in your gym for the Gulf Coast and all HBCUs. And um, wow, this has been amazing. We, we can't spend enough, but thank you for coming on. Anything you want to say to us, Dr. Johnson, or to our audience that you want us to know, remember, but we got to have you back. Anything you want to say? Um, well, no, thanks for having me, guys. And please continue to support Dillard Volleyball. Follow us on this season, and I would love to be back. Okay, we will definitely will. Stay right where you are. Now, as we all know, <clears throat> we feature the very best in all of women's sports and HBCU athletics. We also throw a little bonus in there. And so next week, as we cover HBCU and some professional football, we will have with us former NFL great Damian Williams. First, uh, he was drafted in 2010 to the Tennessee Titans. He's going to talk HBCU football, and he's going to talk pro football. And then we're going to come back next month. We have some more HBCU coaches and some professional athletes, and then we're going to also bring back volleyball coach as well. But Dr. Johnson, we can't say, but thank you enough for enlightening us, and we will be bringing you back. Go. Blue, is it Blue Devils? Yeah, Blue, Blue Devils. Blue Devils, Dillard University, we're going to wish you the best. To all of our listeners, we'll see you back. 
next Tuesday. We're moving to Tuesday nights next week. All from here on out, we don't want to compete with Monday Night Football. So, again, thank you so much. We'll see you in a little bit more than 168 hours from now. Thank you so much. Dr. Johnson, thank you. Thank, thank you, you, Dr. Bye -bye. Johnson. All righty.